You are listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, today we are in week three of a series called The Resistance, a series that we started a few weeks ago. We've had a few interruptions in between, but we're going to come back and finish out strong today. And we're talking about resisting the enemies that sabotage our peace. We're talking about this idea that the Christian life is not just a life of obedience, it's a life of resistance. There is a real spiritual enemy in this world who wants to sabotage our peace. How many of you know that's true? We are in a spiritual battle as Christians. And so that's what this series is all about. Now, today to set up the message, let me start with this idea, okay? I hate to mention the C word, but if there's one thing that we all learned from COVID, it's how contagious a virus can be, right? Think back about the height of COVID, we were wearing masks and washing our hands all the time like crazy. We probably had the cleanest hands in the history of humanity. We were social distancing, right? And yet COVID was still spreading like wildfire. In fact, I remember uh, around Christmas time, 2021, there was a funny meme floating around on social media. It said, if you're in New York, you don't have to test, you're positive. <laughs> How many of you know that's true? Like, like our Christmas Eve service may or may not have been a super spreader event. I can't condone that. I can't acknowledge, you know, I cannot uh, say whether that's true or false, but it may, it may have been. <laughs> But we learned how contagious a virus can be. In fact, speaking of viruses, a few weeks ago, uh, Amy and I were in Florida for a leadership network that we're a part of. And my mother-in-law, who's my hero, she was in town from Buffalo to watch the boys. And, and she let us know while we were away that one by one, the boys were going down with the stomach bug. Okay? And you got to love it, right? Knowing that you're coming home to a house full of sick people. We're like, mom, can we stay in Florida for a few more days, right? But she had to get back to Buffalo. So we had to come home. And it's not like we could just ditch our kids. Like, well, hey, kids, we're going to get a hotel here for a couple of days and good luck on your own. Like we had to come home to the house knowing that we're, our house was full of like the stomach bug virus, okay? And it was one of those weekends like Amy and I, we had so much going on. Like, you know, come on, ain't nobody got time to get sick. You know what I'm talking about? Like, we don't have time for that. So we came home and like literally like we were serious. We were locked in. We're like, we're not playing games, okay? We are not getting sick. So like we got home and the kids wanted to hug us. We're like, no, we started spraying them with Lysol. Like we fumigated the place. We're like, like all up in here, rebuking the devil, wiping everything down with Clorox wipes, like leaving the house as soon as we could. Like, bye kids, we'll see you in a few hours, right? Amy was wearing a mask. Like we did everything short of putting on hazmat suits to come into this house, right? And guess what? We still got the stomach bug. That's how contagious a virus can be. See, what makes a virus so contagious is that you can easily catch it without realizing it. See, if you recognize the moment that you were exposed, you would do something different and you wouldn't contract the virus. But the problem is you don't recognize that you've been exposed until later on when the symptoms show up. That's, that's the whole challenge with with a, a, a virus, okay? Now, some of you germaphobes in here, as I'm describing this right now, you just want to get out some antibacterial and just bathe your hands. Go ahead and do that if that makes you feel better right now. You have permission. Take out the hand sanitizer and just splash them on there, okay? Now, there's an interesting parallel when it comes to how we form our, our perspectives, our morals, and, and our values. Like a virus, the values of our culture are 
contagious. They spread through our social networks, through our networks of friends and family and coworkers and acquaintances, and we often catch them without realizing it. In fact, sociologists and psychologists actually have a term for this. It's social contagion. According to psychology today, social contagion is the tendency for people to mimic the behavior of others who are either nearby or whom they have been exposed to. Social contagion. See, research has demonstrated over and over again that we are by nature social animals. We are more influenced by the people around us than we even recognize it. I know some of you think, no, I'm not like that. I've got a very strong mind. You are more influenced than you think you are. It's part of our wiring. I know I am. I know when I'm around, especially groups of people, I, I get influenced, especially when I hang out like with my pastor friends, my guy friends. Like I've noticed if I hang around with guys who are really into sneakers, I end up wanting to buy more sneakers. If I hang around guys who are really into sports, I find myself checking my ESPN app even more that week so I can keep up with what's going on with sports. If I'm out to dinner with some friends and, they, and they're into uh, being healthy and eating healthy and they order healthy food, I'm more likely to order something healthy. But how many of you know the opposite is also true? If I hang out with guys who don't care, then I end up splurging just like them. We are by nature social animals and culture is contagious. How many of you know that's true? Culture is contagious. Now, I'm not here to fight a culture war today. There are certainly values in our culture that we can affirm and we can celebrate. I'm so thankful that there is a movement for social justice in our generation. I think that's wonderful. I'm so thankful that we are living in a moment in history, in our nation, where we are pushing back and fighting against racial injustice. Can I get an amen? Somebody. I think that's something we as Christians can, on, can get on board with. I'm thankful that there are those who are advocating for environmental protection. When we think about God as the creator, he made this beautiful creation. As a Christian, I can get behind that. But so often the values of the culture and the world that we're living in, they are not the values of the kingdom of God, especially when it comes to things like money and sex and materialism and self-fulfillment. I mean, our preacher, our, our culture preaches this message day in and day out that the number one thing you can do to find happiness is to fulfill yourself, every longing of, of your hearts. And so we have to be vigilant because we're being exposed to this influence all the time without even realizing it. And as the great spiritual writer Richard Foster once said, to conform to a sick society is to be sick. See, the world that, that we're living in right now and the culture that influences every day is not producing peace deep in in our souls. We are living through a time where there is a scarcity of peace. We are living during, during a time where there is a recession of peace. We are living during a time where there is a poverty of peace. People are stressed out. People are anxious. People are depressed. More people are medicated than, than ever before. I don't know about you, but look at the world around us right now. Do you like the results that other people are getting? If you do what everybody else does, you'll get everyone else's results. And as Richard Foster said, to conform to a sick society is to be sick. And so I want us to revisit a quote that we've looked at every week in this series. It comes from Pastor John Mark Comer in a book that he wrote, a really great book called Live No Lies. And he talked about the attack of the enemy. He talked about resisting the enemy who wants to sabotage our peace. Here's what he said. The devil's strategy is deceitful ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful 
society. That's the last part I want to talk to you about today. This idea that, that these, these disordered desires are normalized in a sinful society. See, in week one, we talked about resisting Satan's lies by replacing them with the truth of God's word. In week two, we talked about how resisting, uh, we talked about resisting the temptation of the flesh, our sinful nature, by walking in the spirit. If you missed either of those messages, go back and watch them on YouTube. Today, I want to talk to you about the third enemy of our souls, the third enemy of, of our peace that we need to resist. I want to talk to you about the world, what we call the world. Now, let's define what we mean when we talk about the world. I would define it this way. The world in biblical terms, in Christian thinking is this. It's the normalized morals, values, and systems of our sinful culture that are often antithetical to the kingdom of God, okay? The morals, the values, the systems of this world that are opposed to the kingdom of God. How many of you know that the values of the world are often not the values of the kingdom of God? The values of America are often not the values of the kingdom of God. And often what happens is over time, sin can reach such a crescendo, such a tipping point that it literally becomes normalized in our culture. Let me give you an example. I can't think of any more famous or powerful example from our own culture, from America, okay? Because every culture has its sins. Western civilization has its particular sinful systems, just like every other culture. Let me give you one from American history, America's original sin, the sin of slavery. We as modern day people read about the history of slavery and we are, are, are appalled, aren't we? Like how could human beings enslave other human beings based on race? Like that is so wrong. How did that ever grow to become accepted? Think about it. This sin became so prevalent that it reached a tipping point that it became uh, entwined into the economy. Our nation literally fought a civil war over this because the South's economy was based on slavery. Talk about sin becoming normalized. Do you see it? Let me give you another example, okay? when it comes to sexuality in our culture. Okay, we live in a day and age where our culture gives people permission to do anything they want with anybody they want at any time they want. And that just seems like so normal to us. Do you recognize, church, that that kind of thinking has only been around for a few decades? Hello, let me wake you up today. That kind of thinking has only been around for a few decades in, in this country since the sexual revolution. Before the 60s, by and large, Americans valued the sanctity and sacredness of sexuality, something that takes place between in, in the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. That was the prevalent view, the, actually very influenced by Christianity in this nation until just a few decades ago. Let me give you another tragic recent example of sin that's been normalized in our country. How about gun violence? Here we are, we're all hurting this week, right? Again, having this, this collective moment in our nation of our hearts aching for another school shooting, the terrible tragedy that happened in, in Nashville. And let me just tell you, we have to snap out of and recognize this is a sin that has reached a tipping point in our country to where it's become normalized. Our, our Christian brothers and sisters in Europe, I talked to them, they scratch their heads. They can't figure out why we have this problem in this country. And no, I'm not being progressive or political. I'm being downright biblical right now. What I'm showing you in a couple different examples is that sin over time reaches a tipping point to where it becomes normalized. When I was growing up in school, we never had lockdown drills. My kids were literally in lockdown this week. Do you see it? Sin grows in a culture to the point that it reaches a tipping point and it becomes normalized. And so this is what we mean when we talk about the world. Now, listen to what the Apostle John, how he describes the world in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Let me read this to you. He says, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Wow. 
Look at verse 16. For the world offers you only a craving for physical pleasure, that's lust, a craving for everything we see, that's greed, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Wow, what a wake-up call. John says, don't fall in love with the things of this world. This world is passing away. The values of this world, the priorities of this world, the morals of this world, they will not stand the test of time. But the word of our God stands forever. There's a kingdom that will not be shaken, the kingdom of God that will, that will last. Now, let me clarify. You can go ahead and clap. Come on, somebody. John says that the values of the kingdom of God are not the values of this world. And so you've got to defect from the values of the kingdom of this world. You've got to, you've got to resist. Come on, like put your fist in the air and resist. That's what we're here to do today. Now, let me tell you what John isn't saying, okay? John isn't saying that everything in the world is wrong. Okay? God is the creator of the world. He, he's not saying everything in the world in general is wrong. Music, in art, in sports, in technology, in romance. That's not what he's saying. He's also not saying, he's also not talking about the people of the world. When he says don't love the things of, this, of, the, of the world, he's not saying don't love the people of the world. How many know we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves? We're called to love and serve, right? We're called to, to people. Again, he's talking about the sinful aspects of our culture that have been normalized Things like lust and greed and pride. Do you recognize those as the top three things on, the, on the, seven, the seven deadly sins, the list of seven deadly sins, the sins that have been there since Adam and Eve first sinned in, in the garden in the creation story? See, our problem is that we so easily become at home in the world. That's our problem. Every person in this place, I don't have to ask you, that is the challenge. That is the temptation. The problem for us is that we become so at home in this world, at home in this culture, at home in the things that our world loves and values that we don't even recognize the influence that it's having on us. Now, let me give you a disclaimer right now. If you like the results that the world is getting, the people around you, then you can just go ahead and tune out for the rest of this message. And you can be as stressed out as the world around you. You can be as anxious as the world around you. You can be as medicated as the world around you. You can be as in debt as the world around you. You can be as unhealthy as the world around you. You can be as dysfunctional as the world around you. I can keep going. Do you like the results that this world is getting? I don't know about you, but I don't. I look around in every direction and I see people broken. I see people hurting. I see an, an epidemic, a, a poverty of peace in the world we're living in right now. So if you don't like the results of what everybody else is getting, maybe it's time to give the truth of scripture a try. Come on, maybe it's time to follow Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I've got a better path for you. I've got a better way for you. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. I've got something so much better for you. And we want to defect from the fallen system of this world that is literally crumbling and falling apart before our very eyes. And we want to follow and align our hearts with the kingdom of God. Are you with me this morning? And so what do we do? What do we do? How do we respond? How do we, how do we resist the pull of a sinful world, the influence of a sinful fallen world that pulls on every one of our hearts every day. I'm no exception. We all are living, breathing, like swimming in this culture that, that in so many ways is antithetical to the kingdom of God. What do we do? Well, I want us to look at a prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples as he was preparing them for his return to 
the Father. We're going to look at a prayer he prayed in John chapter 17. Now, here's the context of this prayer we're going to read. This is the night of the Last Supper. This takes place during the Passion Week, right? Which is the week that we're going to remember this week as we're going into, into Holy Week. This is that Thursday night. This is the night of the Last Supper as Jesus gathers with his disciples and Jesus knows he's about to be arrested. Jesus knows he's about to go to the cross. Jesus knows he's going to be resurrected and very soon he's going to return to the Father. And so he's preparing his disciples. Everything he's saying here, it's, it's so loaded with meaning. It's powerful. And he prays this really powerful prayer. Let's look at it together. John chapter 17, verses 13 through 19. Here's what Jesus prayed. He said, now I am coming to you He's praying to the God, the Father. I'm about to return to the Father. Now I am coming to you. I told them, his disciples, he's there, picture it, at the table of the Last Supper. He's praying over his disciples. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. Look at verse 16. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. This is Jesus' prayer. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. So here's Jesus with the disciples the very night he would be betrayed around the table of the Last Supper praying with them, pouring his heart out for them, knowing he's about to return to the Father. And his heart is for the disciples. He's praying for them that God would protect them, that God would keep them, that they would be in this world but not influenced by it. And he says, I'm about to even go offer myself as a sacrifice. He has the cross in mind. He knows where the power is that's going to help his disciples live in this world and yet not succumb to it. Now, I want you to notice something. Notice something before we, before we get into a little practical application here. I want you to notice what Jesus says in verse 13. Put that on the screen. He says, I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. Come on, everybody say joy. I, I love what the NIV says. The NIV says uh, that, that they may experience the full measure of joy within. Come on, how many of you want the joy of the Lord in your life. Come on, the scripture says the joy of the Lord is my strength. I want you to get this today. Here's what Jesus is praying. He says, I don't want them just to have the happiness of this world that is fleeting, but a lasting joy. Jesus says, I'm praying that my followers will have real joy that's not found in the things of this world, that's not found in materialism, that's not found in cheap sex, that's not found in climbing the socioeconomic ladder that can be pulled out from underneath you at any point in time. I'm talking about a joy that's found in me that fills your life, a deep, lasting, abiding joy. Come on, we're not having a pity party today. This message isn't about, oh, the world is so bad. Let's just all sit around and like hope God gets us out of here. No, no, no. Jesus is calling us to something so much better. Life and life more abundantly. Come on, life and life more abundantly. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life, that you may live with a deep, lasting, abiding joy that's found in following the way of Jesus, defecting from the fallen ways of this world that do not bring joy to align your heart with the kingdom of God and a lasting joy that abides deep within your soul. How many of you want that today? I know I want that. That's, that is the longing of my heart. And so Jesus is about to return to the Father to leave this world. And he wants his followers to know how to live in this world 
with a deep abiding joy that is not from this world. And so I want to give you three keys from this prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 for resisting the world. You can put these in your notes today. Three keys for resisting the world. Here's the first one. Number one, expect opposition. Expect opposition. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, expect opposition? Come on, help me preach the message today. Make sure they're paying attention. Tell them, take notes. Expect opposition. Expect opposition. Look at this verse four, John 17, verse four. Jesus said, I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Jesus says to the disciples, and I believe prophetically to you and to me, he says, expect some opposition, expect some persecution, expect some pushback. And we know that indeed all of the disciples, all of the apostles would expect persecution. They would be martyred for the faith. Jesus says, if you're aligned with the kingdom of God and the things of God, you should expect some opposition every now and then. Don't be surprised when people around you don't understand your values. Come on, this is going to happen every now and then. Don't be surprised when your friend's like, you go to church every Sunday, what are you, one of those holy people, right? And you give money to your church. Don't you know all religion is a scam? They're just after your wallet. And you're not having sex with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Like, that is so old-fashioned. Like, who lives like that anymore? Hello? Hello? For some of you who thought like, oh, this is a progressive church. No, no, we, we hold to the truth of God's word for 2,000 years. What the church has proclaimed about the sanctity of sexuality. And so expect a little pushback every now and then. Expect it. Let me just tell you some of the ways I, I've experienced it, okay? I had a couple years ago, I had a neighbor uh, who was having a party on a Saturday night, and somebody called the cops on him. It wasn't me. And he came over and knocked on my door and accused me of calling the cops on him. And here was his rationale. Well, I know you get up early on Sunday morning to do your thing. I was like, bro, we about to fight right now because I'm up, I'll pray and ask God to forgive me in church tomorrow. But me and you, we're about to do this right here. Get off my porch before I have to go to church and ask my church to pray for me. Come on, pray for your pastor. I need help just like you. I'm a work in progress just like you, okay? You don't want your pastor getting in a fight on a Saturday night before church. You know what I'm saying? But why? In a way, it was a little bit of opposition, right? Oh, I know you get up and you do your thing on Sunday morning. Nobody else is up in the neighborhood on Sunday morning, but you are. You're the one who sticks out. Are you with me? Let me give you another example. When we first moved into this building, there was somebody who had an office located close by and they didn't want to be close to a church like that. They started complaining. We were getting complaints about everything. We put new garbage cans in the bathroom. We upgraded the garbage cans for free. They were complaining about the garbage cans. They were complaining about everything to management. Guess what? Management eventually moved them because we ain't going anywhere, baby. We're all up in here. <laughs> Opposition though. There's pushback. There's a little bit of pushback. I go on social media every now and then, especially this time of year. We pray, for, we pray for ads so we can reach more people, right, in our, our community. And it's wonderful. A lot of times we see people come through those. But I see some of the things people comment in social media, what they think about church, what they think about Jesus. Here's what I'm telling you. Jesus said, expect some pushback. Expect some persecution. Expect some, some opposition. If you're doing this, this Christianity thing right, you should raise some eyebrows every now and then. Now, Jesus isn't saying don't be, uh, be annoying. He isn't saying being one of those Christians who is judgmental and goes in the subway and preaches at everybody, they will hate you if you do that. Don't look for haters, okay? Haters will find you, I promise you. <laughs> but what he's saying is if you do this Christianity thing right, every now and then you're going to raise some eyebrows. Why? Because you don't belong to this world. You belong to the kingdom of God. You're in this world, but you're not of this world. Second thing, I'm giving you some keys, some keys to resist the world. Come on, we're called to resist. The Christian life isn't just a life of obedience. It's a life of resistance, and we're going to resist this fallen world. Number two is embrace holiness. 
embrace holiness. Look at what Jesus prayed, verses 16 and 17. He said, they do not belong to this world any more than I do. My people, my followers, my disciples, my church, they don't belong to this world any more than I do. Verse 17, make them holy. Other translations say, sanctify them. Make them holy. Sanctify them by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Jesus said, we got to embrace holiness. Now, you know, it makes me sad as I was preparing this message, I realized this isn't a word that we talk about in church enough anymore. And part of that's my fault. I felt conviction preparing this message. We got to get back to talking about this idea of holiness. Now, what does it mean to be holy? Because some of y'all have some negative ideas about that. You're thinking about you have to wear a suit and tie to church and speak in Christianese and pray prayers that sound like a King James type prayer. Some of y'all having flashbacks right now. You're like, no, pastor, I grew up in churches like that. Let's not do that, okay? No, no, no. Let me talk to you about what holiness really means. The biblical concept of, in scripture of holiness is to be set apart. It's to be set apart. In other words, we belong to God. We are set apart from the ordinary things of this world. We are set apart to his purposes. We belong to, his God, to, to God the Father. We are his children. We are his sons. We are his daughters. We are his people. We are set apart from the ordinary fallen things of this world. Let me give you an example that'll help you get your head around this, okay? I'm a father. Me and my wife, we have three boys. Many of you know that. And for those of you who are parents, you'll understand this, right? You know this, like in your house when you have kids, like there's not much that just belongs to you, right? Like you're sharing this space with these little people who are living off of you rent-free and they're all up in all of your stuff. They touch everything. They mess with your stuff. Single people who don't have kids yet, I'm just going to tell you, I hate to tell you, kids ruin everything, okay? If you didn't know, they ruin everything. We've been renovating our house for the past four years and the boys are just actively undoing it to the best that they can, okay? We're having a little fun here today, but the parents, y'all all know what I feel this morning. Y'all like, go ahead and preach, pastor. So there are very few things in my home that are just mine. But last year, I got a new car. I got a little nice 2022 Hyundai Tucson. For me, in my mind, it's like a Porsche. It's my baby. It's my thing. And it's the one thing daddy has. Like everything else. Y'all got the family car. We got a Chevy Traverse. Y'all can eat in it. We go on road trips in it. You can leave McDonald's French fries on the floor. Do your thing. But when you get in dad's car, they all know, like, this is my baby. This is dad's one thing. Don't bring your greasy fingers up in here on my leather interior get your trash out of my car when you get out. You can bang your shoes out before you get in here because my, my little Hyundai Tucson is set apart. It's sanctified. It belongs to the Lord and to your dad, right? It's holy unto the Lord. You got it? It's my one thing. <laughs> Here's what I think Father God would say over to us today. There's one thing in this planet that I'm passionate about, my people who are set apart to me, my children who I gave my one and only son, Jesus Christ, to redeem. And you are my people, my sons, my daughters. And you're set apart. You're not ordinary. You can't just live like everybody else. You were bought with a great price. And you're set apart to me. This is what it is to, 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 to live holy. We're set apart. Jesus said he prayed that we would be sanctified by the truth of God's word. And so when it comes to choosing between what culture says and what the word of God says, we choose what the word of God says because we're set apart to him. And so to live holy is to live differently in this world. It's to live differently in how we spend our time and our money, how we use our power, how we use our influence. Can I just tell you, this is how the very first Christians turned the Roman Empire upside down. This is all a ragtag group of, of believers. This is how they influenced the world because they loved each other passionately. They cared for the poor 
passionately. They fought for justice passionately. And people saw what they had and they wanted it. And it influenced the Roman world so that within a few generations, they saturated the Roman Empire and changed the world upside down. Not because they were like everybody else, but radically different, set apart to God. We belong to God. Here's the third thing. I'm giving you some keys, some keys to resist this fallen world. Number three is live as a community on mission. Come on, everybody say mission. We have a mission. We don't just, we don't just have a mission, but we are to, we're called to live in, in community as a community on mission. Look at what Jesus prayed, verse 15. Then we'll skip to verse 18. He said, I'm not asking you, he's praying to Father God. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. Look at verse 18. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Jesus said, you, you have a mission. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a mission. When you said yes to Jesus, you didn't just say yes to salvation. You said yes to his mission. And there's a calling on your life to reach a lost and broken, hurting world. Did you know that? Like you signed up for the mission. It was in the fine print, whether you recognize it or not. Jesus said, as, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. I'm calling you to be in this world, but not of this world. You, you have a mission to reach a lost and broken world with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. We're saved from this world before this world. We're saved from this broken world, but then Jesus sends us into to live for a broken world that desperately needs the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. Let me just give you two, ex two extremes to avoid when it comes to living out mission, okay? And I think some of you will recognize these depending on what kind of church culture you grew up in if you have a church background. Two extremes to avoid when it comes to pursuing a life of mission. The first one is escapism, escapism. Here's the idea. Some Christians are so focused on what's wrong with the world that they just want to escape and get out of here. Like the kind of doom and gloom Christians. Now, I know we all feel this way every now and then. You ever have those days where you read the news or you just hear like one more bad thing happening around you and you're like, Lord, it'd be nice if you just take me out of here and we could just go to heaven. Like how many of you ever prayed the prayer? How many of you remember Forrest Gump? Love that movie. How many of you remember Jenny's prayer in Forrest Gump? Lord, please make me a bird so I can fly far, far, far away. Come on. How many of you ever wanted to pray the prayer of St. Jenny <laughs> in Forest Cup. Lord, please make me a bird. Get these people out of my face. Let me fly far, far away from here. I have wanted to pray that prayer before. We've all been there before. But there are some, some Christians who, they're so focused. They have this mindset that the world is getting so bad and things would just go back to the way they used to be. And I just want to get out of here. And the worse it gets for the world, the better it gets for us because we're leaving. Jesus is going to come back and get us out of here. And in the 80s and the 90s, we were so fixated on preaching that way. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in the, in the, in the return of Jesus Christ. That is orthodox, historic Christianity. For 2,000 years, the blessed hope of the church, Jesus Christ will return and he is going to put to right every wrong in this world. His kingdom is going to be fully come. We should long for that. We should pray for that. But hello, we have a mission on this planet. Jesus said, I'm not praying that you get them out of here. I'm not praying that you just take them out of here, but they, that they would be in this world. In fact, this is what the very first monks did. He studied church history in the third century. There were these monks living in Egypt. This was during the Roman Empire when Egypt was part of that. And they looked around at the decadence of the Roman Empire. They looked around at the, the decay of society the moral decay of society. And they said, we're getting out of here. And they left the cities and they went out into the desert to pray. The desert fathers, the desert monks. Now, that's not what we see in the life of Jesus. Jesus left and went to the wilderness to pray. But aren't you thankful he came back? 
He went to the pre- into the desert to pray, but aren't you thankful that he came back to open the eyes of the blind, to set people free, to raise people from the dead, to preach the gospel, to go to the cross for us. It's okay to go to the desert every now and then to get prayed up, but you got to come back to this culture, okay? So that's escapism. That's one extreme. The other extreme is relativism. Relativism. Relativism is the opposite, swings the opposite way. And says some Christians, they, they take the opposite approach and, and they try to become so relevant to the things of this world that they become indistinguishable from it. They become influenced by the world. They, they want to be so relevant to, to the world that they become absorbed by it. That is the other extreme. Now, Jesus said you're in this world, but you're not of this world. If you become of this world, you can't reach this world. What do we, what do we see in the life of Jesus What do we see in Jesus' example? Jesus was in this world, but not of it. I'd put it this way. Jesus had purity and proximity. What do we read about in the Gospels? Jesus sat at the table with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. Jesus wasn't afraid to hang around sketchy people that you and me wouldn't want to be associated with because it might ruin our nice Christian reputation. But Jesus wasn't afraid to rub elbows with sinners. Here's the thing about Jesus. When he got around sinners, his righteousness infected them. Come on. His righteousness was contagious. He wasn't afraid to get around sinners because they didn't infect him with their sin. His righteousness infected them. His righteousness rubbed off on them. He had purity and proximity. Do you see it? He wasn't an escapist, nor was he a a relativist. All right, let me give you this analogy, okay? For those of you who fly, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. When you get on the plane, they always give you the spiel, right? And most of us, when they go into the spiel, we slip the AirPods in because we don't want to hear it for the 10,000th time, right? Buckle your seatbelt. If the plane lands, your seat is also a flotation device. Come on, how many of you know if it gets to the point that your seat is a flotation device, just tuck your head between your legs and kiss your butt goodbye. That's what they ought to say. In the event of a water landing, tuck your head between your legs and kiss your butt goodbye. <laughs> they give you the whole spiel, but here's the one thing they say. You'll recognize this. If there's a loss of pressure in the cabin, <laughs> the oxygen masks are going to drop. We hope that never happens. And what do they say? If you have young children with you, put the mask on your face first before you secure the mask on everybody else, right? Have you heard that before? Now, why do they say that? Why do they say that? Because if you succumb to a lack of oxygen and pass out, you are no good to anybody else. You can't help your children if you pass out from a lack of oxygen for for yourself. You can't help anybody else. Here's the point, church. The reality is we're living in a culture that so desperately needs the life-giving message of Jesus Christ, like oxygen to the lungs. And if we succumb to the ways of this world, then we can't help anybody else. Come on, Jesus is saying you got to defect from the fallen ways of this world. Slip the oxygen mask on your face first. You got to plug into the life of Jesus. You got to walk with him. You got to know him. You got to know his voice. You got to know his presence. You got to have his presence in your life, in your home, in your marriage, if you're married, in your family. If you have kids, you got you to gotta get plugged into the life-giving source before you can help anybody else. Because if you succumb to this world, you, you are no good to help anybody else. And so we're called to live on mission. But here's the good thing. We do it in community. We're not in this by ourselves, but in, in community. This is why we worship. This is why we serve. This is why we give. This is why we pray. This is why in just a few weeks, we're going to have our next serve event. Why? Because it's not just that we're serving other people. Let me just tell you, the people aren't the project. Your heart is the project. We got to get outside of ourselves. This is why we give every week. Are you kidding me? The grip of materialism in this culture is so strong. Every time you give, you, 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 do, the, you do something for your heart. This is why we gather together and worship and we pray. I love what one theologian said. He said, I come to church to tune my instrument. See, what happens is we gather and worship, and as we worship, we begin to, the Holy Spirit begins to gently reveal to us the areas of our lives that are out of sync 
that out of tune, right? And we begin to tune our hearts together as the people of God. Isn't that a beautiful thought? As we worship together, as we lift our hands together. Why? Because culture is contagious. I rub off on you. You rub off on me. Do you want to know who inspires me? Do you want to know who encourages me? You, my church family, you do more to encourage me than anyone else. And I get back up here and I give it back to you and I encourage you. That's why we get in life groups together. That's why we serve in teams together. Do you see it? We're called to be the people of God family of God, living in the kingdom of God together. And so here's the final thought I want to give you. We resist the ways of this fallen world by following the ways of Jesus. And we do that best in community. We do that best in community. We weren't in this by ourselves. We're called to defect from the fallen ways of this world and to align with the kingdom of God, with the family of God, with the people of God. Why? Because culture is contagious. You want to follow Jesus? You cannot do that by yourself. Christianity is not content. It's not content to be consumed. It's a family to belong to. It's who, it's who you are. It's time to stop going to church. It's time to start being the church, the people of God. That's what this is about. Because here's why. We, we don't drift towards spiritual growth. Are you listening to me? How many of you know we don't drift towards spiritual growth? We don't, we don't drift toward becoming more like Jesus. We don't naturally drift toward submitting ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ and the values of the kingdom. No, our natural tendency is to drift away from his lordship. The pull of sin, the pull of temptation, the pull of this culture is so strong. Every day we have to renew our minds. Every day we have to resist the enemy of this world. Every day we have to invite the presence of God into our lives. It's not enough to do this for one hour on Sunday morning. We need Jesus every day of the week, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. When I wake up in the morning, when my head hits the pillow at night, God, I need your presence in my life because I am walking around in a culture that has fallen and broken and lost and and I'm being exposed daily, God. God, expose me to your presence. God, expose me to your truth. God, expose me to your grace, to your love, to your mercy so that I can be in this world, but not of this world. And we're doing that together as a community, as a family on mission together. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask you to bow your head for just a moment right there in your seat. Let's have our own, your own altar call right there in your own seat to meet with the Lord. In just a moment, we're going to receive communion together. But here's what I want us to do. I want us to have a moment to look within, to reflect. I believe the Holy Spirit is going to begin to speak to our hearts today. And I just have one question for you today. In what ways have you been affected by the values of this world rather than the values of Jesus and his kingdom? Can we take a moment just to be still in God's presence on this, this day when we're launching into Holy Week? A week set aside to remember the passion of Jesus, all that he gave, gave his life for us, so we could live in his kingdom. In what ways have you been infected? Have you been influenced by the priorities, the values, the morals, the distractions of this fallen world rather than the values of Jesus and his kingdom? I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking all over this room today. I can tell you as I prayed over this message this week, the Holy Spirit is convicting me all throughout the week, even into, into the, to this morning, showing me places where I can get more aligned, more submitted, more aligned with the kingdom of God, more submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ more love for God than for the things of this world. Come on, he's speaking to our hearts today. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Speak to our hearts. Reveal, speak, whisper. Show us today, Father, in this moment right now, you are speaking around this room. You're beginning to show us places of compromise. You're beginning to show us 
mindsets, strongholds, ways of thinking, values, and priorities. People around us who are not walking with you have had influence on us, this culture we're living in. And Lord, today we are recognizing it. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're gentle. You're not condemning us today, but you're speaking to our hearts. And you're drawing us back to the Father in the love of Jesus. And so today, as he's showing you some things, let's take a moment to turn back. We're going to literally do what we do this time of year in Lent. We repent. We turn back. Lord, today, thank you for opening our eyes. And so now we turn from those things. We repent and we turn back to you. Would you pray that with me? Jesus, I'm turning my heart back to you today. I'm turning from my sin today and I'm turning toward you today. Father, we're asking you to renew our minds, to forgive us and to renew our minds. And Father, we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Come on, let's pray that together. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for yours the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.